Warning, Mombies will discuss information regarding true crime or other topics that are spooky in nature. This may be offensive to some listeners. For more information on the potential trigger warnings in this episode, please review our show notes and be cautious when listening. I'm Beth. I'm Christina. And I'm Holly. And we're the Mombies. That's a great question. Weird. Just just absolutely strange. How do you even do that? I feel like that's gotta mean something. Something, 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 something. Hello, spooky humans. Welcome back to Mombies. I'm Beth. I'm Holly. And today we're going to finish off our Amityville Horror series with part two of the Amityville Horror. Ooh. Holly, how you doing? Just fine. Good. Like, like we haven't been talking for the last hour sitting here. What's new? <laughs> uh, Anthony just had his second grade choir concert. Oh, how was it? It was adorable. I was a little bit sad because I wanted to sit in this one which was in the front row it was at the high school mm-hmm. and there's only one seat but it's in the front row i'm like lila girl you can just sit right on my lap she was like now nah, bitch i need my own chair i'm like well i can't fucking stand up here so we sat in the second row but it was like on the other side and then they all come out and anthony's on the other side over there mm-hmm. and he's standing behind a girl that's taller than he is so i was like oh so he would go like this sometimes, you know, and his face would pop out and I'd be like, get the recorder for a second where I could actually see his face. <laughs> and, um, but it was adorable. The teacher did such a good job. They're, they did like five or six songs with all these little cute moves and they did a really good job. Aww. I was just like, just my eyes welled up with tears all day. Like, oh, I'm so cute. So I have like, 48 minutes of um, snippet videos, so I can't like even post any of them because they're all so gigantic. I'm like, ah. But it was it was very very cute. He said he wasn't gonna sing like literally before we left. He was like, I'm not going. I'm like, you have to go. We have to go. You can't not go. But I said you can just stand up there and lip sync if you want to. If you get a little nervous, no big deal. Just smile. Whatever. Do I have to smile? I'm like, please smile. Please. Please just smile up there at least. Kids. I will take you to get ice cream if you just fucking smile. And so he actually sang a lot of the songs and like was doing all the moves. So I think once he got up there and he saw that everybody really loved it and was clapping and there were a lot of parents in there. So you could see what all the kids walked out. All of a sudden their faces were like, oh, they saw all the people. And we saw a couple of kids got sad. But for the most part, the kids ate it up. Like all the parents clapping for them. It was so cute. Oh, sweet. Aww. I'll show you videos later. Hell yeah. I'm going to watch all 48 minutes of it. I'm not sharing <laughs> on Facebook. You share them with me. Oh, well, uh, my kids have been being holy terrors the past week. They've decided, oh, the little ones, the big ones in school, uh, they've decided that they're not going to eat anything. Uh, today, 
My two-year-old screamed for about 45 minutes. No. Because he didn't want to eat a nugget. And then he got his iPad taken away because he refused to eat. And then he got mad because his sister got the iPad. And then he just screamed. Oh, yeah. And P.S. He just screamed for 45 minutes that he wanted the blue iPad. He didn't. He wanted the green one. But he screamed for 45 minutes that he wanted the blue iPad. No. Um, you stuck you stuck to your guns. I did. He finally wore himself out and passed out of my lap at about one o'clock. And I was like, thank God. And took him upstairs and put him in his room. Uh and then Big Sister before that got mad at me. I don't remember what for. She screamed for a very short time and then literally just stormed upstairs by herself and was just gone. For a while. So finally I like gave him something to eat and went upstairs to check on her. And I go upstairs and she is on, so we have a twin size mattress in her room in front of her crib because someday we'll change it. But right now that's where uh, her dad sleeps most nights when she wakes up screaming. So she's laying on that wrapped up in the blanket. I mean, head covered and everything just laying there. That's it. She's like kicking her foot, just laying Uh, under the blanket. She's like, Like, I need a break. I need space from you, you fucking bitch. So she just (laughs) laid there like for probably 45 minutes, at least 30 minutes, probably 45 minutes. She laid in her room. Her sound machine was still going because dad forgot to turn it off this morning. So she just laid there and apparently fucking cussed me out and tied Larise under the blanket. (laughs) So that was fun. (laughs) So when my husband got home, I was like, fucking bye. I'm leaving. Get out of here. Highly recommend having two children 11 months apart. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. If you're the best friend, it's really great because you just get all the babies. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's my my house right now. You took one for the team. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You're so welcome. (laughs) That was the best phone call ever. (laughs) Um, Okay, so where we left off... Uh, we're at around, there wasn't an exact date on this. I think we're around January the 6th, I believe is what I just figured out. Um, and what year are we? What a year? 70, 77, I think. Okay. Ish, 76 maybe. I don't remember. That's a very good question. I guess I could scroll back. Honestly, I thought top. maybe some of the listeners would be like, what? Yeah. Excuse me. I do have it in my notes. Uh, so we would be in, yeah, 77. Oh, I was right. Look at that. That's right, bitches. All right. <laughs> so go. we'd be around January 6th of 77. I got to find out where I was in my notes. So excuse me while I scroll through Perfect. Thankfully, I highlighted everything. So where we left off, obviously, the Lutz family has a lot going on. All kinds of spooky shit happening. Uh, I think George was basically still of the opinion that he wasn't going to fucking call anybody or do anything because, you know, men, right? So uh, he ended up deciding to call this medium, his co-worker's girlfriend, and they list her name as Francine in the book. Uh, it kind of tells her what's happening in the house. She immediately agrees to come see the house. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, they kind of talked about uh, finding a well. She said to look for a well on the property. He didn't tell her that he had happened to find one that day. And um, she kind of tells him why. We talked about that a little bit. And then after that phone call, he ended up calling the Psychical Research Institute to let them know that he'd written them a letter about what was going on in the house. And they said, we're going to send a field investigator out to you. So that's kind of where we stand. She's like, I fucking told you. (laughs) And the wife is just like, okay, 
this day. No. And the kids are probably like, get us the fuck out of this house. So uh, so that night, so like I say, I think it's the 6th, at 2 a.m., as the Lutzes lay in bed, Kathy is sound asleep, George is finally starting to doze off, George got a sudden urge to go to Henry's bar. Now, if everybody has forgotten, it's been a minute for us since we were recording this, Henry's bar is the bar that Ronnie DeFeo hung out in. Um, That's right. Right up the street from the mm-hmm. house. So George had beer at the house, but he just couldn't resist this idea that it had to be Henry's. And it had to be right then. So he rolled over to tell Kathy he was going and realized she wasn't in bed. She was levitating above the bed again. No! So he reached up and he yanked her hair, which, fucking asshole. Really? You couldn't have grabbed anything else. Anything. Her fucking hair. Uh, And yanked her down to the bed. So caused her to fall back and she woke up. So he turned on the light and he turned to look at his wife. And he was shocked to see a 90-year-old woman... With wild white hair, no teeth, and a face full of wrinkles. Apparently, he was so disgusted that he wanted to run from the room. Fuck you very much, George. Someday you'll be lucky for your wife to live to 90. And if she looks 90, are you just going to like stop loving her, you asshole? But whatever, that's just, you know. <laughs> so she clearly saw all of this on his face. She hopped out of the bed. She ran to the bathroom mirror and she screamed because, you know, we don't want any wrinkles, much less a face full of them, right? So most of what George had seen was gone by that point, but she had three deep, ugly scars running down each cheek that went from just below her eyes to just below her jawline. Those lines remained on her face to the, till the morning. What? So when the couple got up on the 7th, George, once again, called Father Pecorero, who has been so helpful so far. He told the priest about the call to the Research Institute and their promise to send an investigator. And he described the events of the night before. Pecorero was worried by the further escalation of events in the house. And he suggested that the Lutzes leave the house for a while. We've heard this a few times already. Huh. What? I wonder why nobody literally ever thought about that. Like, we would just sleep for a minute. But do you think George listened? (laughs) No, because if this if he did, this story wouldn't be nearly as interesting. <laughs> the end. We still got quite a few notes to go, guys. So, so George, <laughs> they left the end. George shared the events of the house. Oh, wait, I already said that. So um, George shared that he'd been considering leaving the house, but he didn't want to leave until the medium came to the house. Obviously. Uh, Father Pecoraro did not improve of the involvement of a medium at all, stating that it that wasn't a scientific investigation. He was playing with a dangerous situation and then he needed to get the fuck out of the house. He probably didn't say fuck, but I'm definitely putting them there because I think he should have. Maybe George would have listened. Uh, so Father Pecorero promised to speak with the chancellors again to try to have a priest sent to the house, which just annoyed George. He'd been trying to get a priest to come out to the house this whole time and the chancellors had just told him to contact the Research Institute. So why would he believe they'd send help now? He tried to end the call. But Pecoraro had one last question for him. He asked if George and Kathy were still doing transcendental meditation. George said they hadn't since they'd moved in, and the priest was happy about that and suggested that the practice might have opened them up to this type of influence. Or the fact that you're living in the fucking murder house. (laughs) Right. Right. Or maybe that you keep fucking staying there and fucking with it. Like, just get out. Oh, my God. But... I digress. I mean, where's your boundary line? Right. What do Levitating 
and you know people hugging me that aren't there i'm pretty sure that's my fucking boundary line i think they lost me at flies and get out was that like 30 oh, seconds before sure. they moved in or like, the oh God, dog hi. strangling itself outside no but fuck you or that like goodbye whatever, i don't whatever need any more underwear is. i don't need shit i'm literally walking out the door like get in the fucking car you don't bring nothing just get in we're <laughs> just out leave it Leave it. Leave the DeFeo's furniture that we have behind. The furniture. Fucking stupid. No. Uh, so it was later the same evening that Eric, George's co-worker, and Francine, the girlfriend who was also a medium, came to the house. The couple hit it off with the Lutzes, and the four were quickly chatting like old friends. During the conversation, Francine randomly stood up from her seat and motioned for George to put his hand on a cold spot on the couch. She noted that the spot was cold and said that she, whoever she is, had been sitting there but had moved. Francine then had a George feel a different spot on the couch that was warm. I did not find clarification if this was the same fucking spot where Francine had just been sitting. <laughs> but she did have him feel a warm spot after the cold spot. So I'm assuming it wasn't, but, you know, we don't really know. Um, uh, she then moved to the dining room with the Lutzes in tow. She noticed the smell in that area, which George said smelled like sweat. But also remember, George hadn't showered in like fucking the first nine days they lived there. So it kind of makes sense that it smelled like sweat. Um, She described, oh wait, sorry. So she moved to the kitchen and said that an old couple was there. She described them as lost spirits and stated that they must have owned the house at some point and had died, but not in the house. She once again noted the smell, this time of perfume. Next, she wanted to see the basement. Here she stated, (laughs) um, fuck you. No, thanks. I'm good. Uh, so here she stated that the house was built on a burial ground, which we've already discussed that it was not. Doesn't seem like, uh, she told the Lutzes that people were buried beneath some storage closets down there and that someone was murdered and possibly buried beneath the secret red room. At this point, she became very uncomfortable in the area. So as they made their way to the second floor, Eric joined them. As she t- she turned the corner at the top of the steps, Francine said she felt a tightness in her chest. She then went to the closed door of the sewing room and said, quote, you've been having problems in here. The couple nodded and opened the door. They went inside while Eric and Francine stayed in the doorway. If the medium stays in the doorway, I, you probably shouldn't go inside of the room. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Maybe take a hint. Uh, Francine appeared to go into a trance and her voice became deeper and more masculine as she said, Quote, I would like to make one suggestion to you. Most people find out who their spirits are and they find they like them. They don't want them to get lost or go away. But in this case, I feel this house should be cleared or exercised. Somebody's little girl and boys, I see bloodstains. Somebody hurt themselves badly here. Somebody tried to kill themselves or something. George would later recognize this voice as Father Pecorero's voice. What? 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 No. Uh, I so, guess that's not the boundary line either. Because I'd be like, oh, where'd you go? Oh, it they is, were gone. They left. So it is you started 100% talking. not the boundary line. <laughs> that boundary is coming, but we got a minute. Uh, after this, Francine came out of the trance and said she wanted to leave. Because Francine, that girl's got smarts. Uh, she said it was a bad time to communicate with the spirits. She promised to come back in a day or two to try again. Later that same night, the banister on the second floor was pulled almost completely off. I don't know who did that. What? Apparently it wasn't George. 
Um, the next day, January 8th, George waited until after he'd fixed the broken banister to call Eric again. George asked if Francine had said anything after they left the house. And Eric said that Francine was terrified of the presence in the home. The presence was so strong that she worried that trying to talk to it would open her up to a physical attack. She did not want to go back to the house. Oh, my God. I was going to say, no fucking way. She's not coming back. She was like, no. I'll totally be back. <laughs> I just forgot something in the car. I got to go. <laughs> I need to go grab it. No, I'm Run! Well, the car, the car. We'll see you guys on a better day. Okay. We're not fucking going back in the never. house. Never. Nope, never. Never. Uh, <laughs> after the men hung up the phone, George got a call from George Kokoris. I hope I said that right. I'm unsure if this is the real name or a pseudonym. I'm assuming probably a pseudonym, but uh, this was the field investigator from the Psychical Research Institute. He told George he couldn't make it to the house that day, but he planned to be there the next morning. The call eased George's mind a bit, and he set about taking down the Christmas tree decorations, setting them on newspapers for Kathy to pack away later. That evening, Kathy's brother Jimmy and sister-in-law Carrie stayed in the Lutz home. They slept in Missy's room, and Missy slept on a couch in the dressing room. At 3.15 a.m., George was awake in bed and heard Carrie scream. Oh. He ran to Missy's room and turned the light on to find Jimmy and Carrie huddled together in the bed, Carrie sobbing in Jimmy's arms. When he asked what had happened, Carrie said a little boy had been sitting on the foot of the bed and had touched her foot. Oh, my God. <laughs> nope. Ah, I wonder, I always wonder, will I be able to scream or I'll just be like, oh, oh, oh. oh my God. <laughs> no. You would 100% scream. That's true. I've been in an escape room. <laughs> You'd be like, ah! and it would be nothing. It's okay. Susan just farted. It's fine. We're good. <laughs> um, where was I? You're so cute. I just forgot my place. <laughs> She's like, maybe I would scream. Um, okay, so he heard Carrie scream. So he ran to Missy's room. He turned on the light to find, oh, I already said that part. <laughs> making sure you guys are with me uh when he asked what had happened carrie said the little boy touched her foot jimmy suggested she'd been having a bad dream but carrie insisted the boy had been there and had spoken to her when asked what he'd said carrie said he'd asked where missy and jody were Whoa. kathy immediately ran down the hall and found missy sound asleep on the dressing room couch jody get out right we bring new people in here get your little crazy <laughs> weird pig self out of my house it took about 15 minutes to get Carrie settled back down enough to sleep. Nope. Bye. I'm going to go sleep in your fucking car and I'm going to park it down the street, Jimmy. Keep your ass here. Bye. I'm not. No. Nope. I would just be like, bye, husband. Peace out. Um, what would you expect out of children? Like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. It's not that big of a deal. Let's go back to sleep. No. Nope. Get kids, let's go. Right now, we're going to sleep in the car. No, I don't care what your fucking mother said. Get in the car. We're going. Um... So she got settled back down and the Lutzes left the room. Kathy pulled the crucifix off the wall of the closet. That's the one that flipped upside down at some point and told George they should bless the house themselves. I don't know what good they thought that was going right? to but okay. Let's piss it off. That's a great <laughs> idea. So they started on the third floor in the playroom, which was Don DeFeo's room. They skipped over the rooms that had sleeping people in them. <laughs> oh good it'll just go in there with the sleeping children great idea uh, and they planned on going to those the next day so that was the boys room Missy's room and then the dressing room where Missy was 
They made their way through the second floor and finally the first floor, but in the living room, as Kathy was reciting the Lord's Prayer, she was interrupted by a loud humming, which then became a louder jumble of voices. Kathy covered her ears, but George heard clearly, Will you stop? Yup. Bye. (laughs) No. 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 Uh, On the 9th, Father Pecorero called the Lutz family to encourage them once more to get the fuck out of the house. He was only supposed to discuss scientific reasons behind the issues they were facing, but he let it slip that he was worried it could be something evil. In the middle of the conversation, Kathy screamed, and George told Pecorero he'd call him back. He ran to the third floor where he found Kathy screaming at the children and slapping them in their heads. Every wall in the hallway had green slime oozing from the ceiling to the floor. Kathy angrily hollered, which one of you did this? Tell me or I'll break every bone in your body. Oh! Shit. We're supposed to use kind words, Miss Kathy. (laughs) I guess not in the 70s. (laughs) Somebody was like, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. Fucking... Uh, the children were adamant that they hadn't done it. According to Danny, they'd found it when they came upstairs. George stood up for the children and investigated the slime. That sounds really weird to me that George stood up for the children after everything that Danny says about him in the documentary. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it looked like jello, but it didn't have any taste or smell. Kathy asked if it could be paint. And George said, no. Wait a minute. I just realized yeah. that they fucking taste. I was just it. like, wait a minute. Over here, I'm like, wait, wait. But, but, there's random green shit on my wall. Like, Let me lick it. La, la, la. No, no, not Jello. That, that was a booger. That was a booger. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Right now, stop it. She knows I hate boogers. I wasn't thinking I can't about stand that. Boogers. I thought about that. You know, I'll tell you about that later. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you that story later. Um, I keep doing that and then I lose my fucking train of thought. People at home are like, these bitches are so unprofessional. Get your shit together. She loses her place every time she starts talking. Um, so Kathy asked if it could be paint. George said no. And this was the moment when he started to fear that what was happening in the house was the work of the devil. So his wife levitated like three fucking times. He saw a fucking pig. He saw weird red eyes looking in the house. Doors ripped off of hinges. And he's like, there's green slime on the wall. Something's fucking up in this house. Something is weird. Okay. Dense ass. Wow. Jesus. Um, So he was worried that this was the work of the devil. He didn't want to frighten the family. So he calmly suggested that they head to the kitchen for lunch. And then he and the boys could clean up the mess. So it's the devil, but you're still going to fucking stay in the house. Uh, anyway, so that night, Kathy told him she wanted to go stay at her mother's and he fucking flew off the handle because I don't know why. Uh, he said, quote, every goddamn thing we own is in this house. I've got too much invested here to give it up just like that. The children were frightened of him and hid behind their mother as he went to the foot of the staircase and screamed loud enough to be heard throughout the house. You sons of bitches, get out of my house. Then he ran to the third floor playroom, threw open all the windows and screamed, get out. Get out in the name of God. Again, fucking dumb idea. You're just going to piss it off. Uh, He ran to every room and did the same thing. Once he was done, he sat in his chair in the living room, staring into the fireplace for the rest of the evening. No, thank you. But did she leave? (laughs) Yep, that's it. (laughs) Nope, just kidding. We got like fucking 20 more pages. We got 20 more pages of her staying in that fucking house. Actually, it's not all that, but anyway. (laughs) Uh... So after she had fallen asleep, George grabbed her Bible from the nightstand and returned to his chair in the living room. 
As he was reading, he felt a blast of hot air on his face and looked up to see the flames of the fire reaching for him. He jumped out of his chair and stared at the fire that had been dying moments before. While he stood there, he was poked hard in the back with what is described as an icy finger. He spun around and could almost see a cold mist coming down the stairs into the hallway. He ran upstairs to his bedroom, but the room was warm. He ran to Missy's bedroom and the windows were wide open. No, no. You run out the front door. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, so George, instead of running out the front door, like a sane person, uh, he grabbed his shivering daughter from her bed and took her straight to his own room. <clears throat> he placed her in the bed next to Kathy and instructed her to warm the little girl. He then ran to the boy's room where the windows were open, just like in Missy's room. The boy's teeth were chattering from the cold as he slowly carried them back to his room. He put them in the bed and climbed in after them. The Lutzes spent 30 minutes warming the children back up, and during that time, George realized this had been a message to stop with the Bible, the blessings, etc. Oh, well. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, the next day, Kathy summoned her mother, Joan Connors, to the house without further explanation than, Ma, I need you immediately, which, let's face it, is all it takes for a mom. When she arrived, she was taken to Kathy's bedroom, where Kathy showed her red welts that went from just above Kathy's pubic hairline to the bottom of her breasts. The streaks were bright red and looked like she had been burned with a hot poker. Oh, my God. Apparently, the streaks were so hot that one burned Kathy's mother when she touched it. What? And she's just sleeping? And she just, yeah, she has no idea where they came from. Oh. Kathy told her mother that George had them, too. George said he'd tried putting cold cream on them, but it didn't help. And the only way to touch them was with gloves. Kathy's mother asked if they'd called the doctor, and George responded that Kathy hadn't wanted to call the doctor, only her mom. Kathy's mother wanted to call the doctor, but the couple argued against it, worried that if they had to say anything about what was going on in the house, the woman would involve her own priest, who George didn't think was capable of handling the situation. Mm. Even though he's begging for a priest. I guess that priest just wasn't good enough. I don't okay. Know. They insisted that Kathy be given an opportunity to rest, telling her mother that the lines already seemed to be healing on their own. Which makes no sense, because you fucking hurried up and made sure your mom came over, so they probably were not healing on their own, but... One of those things, I guess, right? Uh, Kathy asked Joan to stay with her, and of course she did. While she was there, George and the kids ran a couple of errands. At some point, Joan went downstairs to call Kathy's brother to let him know everything was okay, since she'd basically just run out of the fucking house when the phone rang. During this time, Kathy was laying on the bed and opened her robe to look at the marks on her body. While she looked them over, she felt someone watching her from behind. She was too scared to turn and see who or what was there. She stayed like that until Joan came back to the room and asked what she was doing, saying, you'll catch your death of cold. Because <laughs> moms. <laughs> Even after the welts were gone, Joan didn't want to leave her daughter. She told George when he returned that he could stay if he wanted to, but her daughter and grandchildren should come with her. Thank fucking God. Somebody. Yes. Sounds 100% like you. You'd yes, be like, you mama. can do whatever the fuck you want to do. Right. My kids are coming with me. We're leaving. <laughs> By then, it was close to 4 o'clock, and Kathy was napping. George told Jonah they would see about coming to her house when Kathy woke up. Joan agreed. What and the then, fuck, Joan? Right? She was doing so good until right then. And she left the house, but she warned George if he didn't call her the moment Kathy woke up, she'd come back. Which, if you have a mother-in-law, you know. That's okay. Mom will call you right. immediately. Not all mothers-in-law. Uh... After she was gone, George grabbed a book he had gotten from the library that morning. He settled down to learn everything he could about witches and demons, working until 8 o'clock. 
When he finished, he looked over his notes, which included a list of demons' names he'd never heard of. He decided to call Father Pecorero again. Oh, goodness. Pecorero was surprised that the family was still in the home. I don't know why. (laughs) But George told the priest that he thought he knew how to fix the situation. Here we go, guys. I read this one book. (laughs) I read a book this one time with names I've never fucking heard of before. Let's do this. I got it. That other priest can't do it. But me, dumbass George, got this for you guys. Can do it. Uh, So he told him he'd been reading about witches and demons. And he said there was an incantation to be read before saying the demon's name three times to call them up. No. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) This guy. He's like, bitch, you were scared. We're about I'm to, just going to have 27 demons out. in this house. I'm just going to say, hey, I'm going to make up a name because I don't, I wouldn't say it if I did just in case, but hey, Billy Bob, <laughs> get the fuck out of my house. And they're going to go, okay, and just leave. Like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? That's uh, how it works. <laughs> obviously. That's why there's no movies about how hard it is to get rid of a nope. demon. None. You're just like, boop. That's it. It's gone. Could you please just leave? You're really making my wife uncomfortable, and I'd like to get laid sometime this year. And Demon's like, sure. I got you, man. Uh, So he started reading the names out loud, like a genius. And the priest was obviously upset by this. He said, George, for God's sake, don't invoke those names again. Not now, not ever. (laughs) Fucking idiot. Who has to tell you that? I don't even believe in that stuff. And I'm like, nope. Not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say them out loud. I'm pretty sure there were some in the book, and I'm like, nope, we're just gonna skip right past that shit. I don't even know any of these fucking names, just in case. (laughs) Just, I'm gonna head to my bets. So when George tried to ask why, because he's stupid and doesn't know why not to say the fucking demons' names, the call was disconnected. Oh, the house said, "Shut the fuck up, George." Uh, Just then, Kathy asked if that had been her mother on the phone. I told her it hadn't and asked her how she was feeling. She showed him her stomach, which was thankfully welt-free at this point. Okay. Uh, according to the book, she felt completely relaxed and oddly as though she had been completely satisfied sexually. I don't okay. really know what that has to do with anything. But okay. Weird. <laughs> Random. Random so, thing to say. It also said that, in fact, she had been having a sex dream about someone other than George. And she's telling George. Uh, After she's gotten her good rest. She told the writer of the book, apparently. Oh, okay, okay, got it, got it. Or he <laughs> made it the fuck up, because okay. who would do that? Because like, she's coming downstairs, he's like, how are you feeling, babe? She's like, well, it feels so good. I just had this great sex dream, and you weren't fucking in it. I would and definitely it tell wonderful. my husband that. I would totally tell my husband that, because literally the other day was like, so I was having this great fucking dream, and was going to sleep with this person on TikTok who will not be named, and our child woke me up. He was like, oh, that fucking sucks. I was like, I know. So... I would absolutely tell my husband that, but I understand that I'm in the minority. Uh, So just as Kathy decided to call her mother and got her on the phone, it started storming its ass off outside. Her mother suggested that they drive their van to her house rather than having her brother come and get them, I guess, to keep one kid safe. I don't I don't know what the point was in that. But George said from the sounds of the storm, the family would not be going anywhere. He ran outside to bring Harry in while Kathy sent Danny upstairs to close the windows in her room. Moments later, they heard Danny cry out in pain. Kathy and George ran upstairs and found the little boy at the window, trying with his left hand to open the window that was closed on his right hand. George tried to open the window, but couldn't get it to budge. 
He was so frustrated and probably scared that he started shouting obscenities at the entities in his home, which helps <laughs> with your fucking nine-year-old who is terrified. All right. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i going to probably do that. I get it, but... I'm going to probably do that. I bet you wouldn't. I bet you would be so worried about your about Danny here that you would not notice. And Come then, in your ears! And then you would scream at Come him. Come in your ears! I mean, your kid's hand is in the window and you're like, fucking... Okay. Child. Then curse of the world. <laughs> Uh, so finally the window came free on its own and it moved up a few inches. Danny grabbed his hurt fingers with his other hand and cried hysterically for his mom. Oh, of course you did. Kathy tried to see Danny's hand, but he didn't want to show her. She shouted at him and he finally let her see his flattened fingers. <sighs> Kathy let out a cry of pain for her son's pain and George lost his mind. He was running between the rooms and screaming at the entities to come out and fight him. <laughs> It makes me think of fucking ghost adventures when Zach is like, why don't you pick on somebody your own size and dumb shit like that? And you just like laugh. Like what a fucking idiot. I mean, I love, I love ghost adventures, but what a fucking idiot. It's exactly what I think about. And it like, probably this wouldn't like, be funny in the moment, but if you were able to like, if you had that on video and then you right. watched it later, you'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Also, I laugh at Zach when he does it. And if anyone could beat up a fucking ghost, like, Zach's in pretty good shape. This is like a middle-aged fucking fat guy that's like, come fight me. Okay. I can punch through air. Sit down before you have a heart attack, old man. Stop it. Um, so, where was I? So, I don't, so, Kathy followed behind George while he's yelling and ranting and telling the spirits to fight him. And asks him to call a doctor. Because moms are the voice of reason sometimes. And uh, I don't know how long it took, but finally George calmed down and realized, hey, we should, we, should, we should help the kid. He tried to call the doctor, but the storm had downed a telephone pole and the line was dead. Hmm. George shouted to Kathy to put Danny's jacket on so he could drive the boy to the hospital. The ER doctor was amazed at the condition of Danny's fingers, which were flattened from the cuticle to the second knuckle. <gasps> no smash bones or cartilage. What? Weird. He wrapped the hand and gave George children's aspirin for Danny before sending them home. So now that was from the book. So now we're going to kind of talk about some other things that have come out about that particular incident. Okay. So I found an uh, an interview on Coast to Coast AM in 2002. George stated that Danny's hands were closed in the sewing room window. Although the book says it was the, it makes it seem like it was the master bedroom. So that's a little bit of a disparity. Uh, George said that Danny's hands were flattened and that Danny was inconsolable. By the time they went to leave for the hospital, George stated that Danny's hands had gone back to normal. Okay. Okay. Then in Miamiville Horror, Danny describes going through the home, opening the windows because of a smell permeating the house. So a little bit different reason instead of just a storm. He says that in the playroom, both hands were smashed in the window. And he actually shows the hook in his left pinky that has remained his whole life from the incident. Okay. Like he puts his hand on the table kind of like this. And his pinky is like like bent like that. Okay. So you can you can see it. I guess it could be something something else, but um, he says so. He says both hands were smashed in the window, and then he says that while they were getting ice in the kitchen after this happened, a spirit came into the room and walked through his hands that were hanging off the table, knocked the peanut butter and jelly off the table, and then it the spirit sat down at the table. Excuse me. He said while Kathy was wrapping his hands, the spirit disappeared. Within a few minutes, his hands went back to normal. There was no trip to the doctor. So they asked him in the documentary about the trip to the doctor that's in the book. And he says there wasn't any trip to the doctor. There's no way to prove it. What happened? Because there was no trip to the doctor. 
Okay. So the story changes a bit. Uh, let's see. When the two got home. Weird. It's okay. We're back into the book. When the two got home, Danny sobbed himself to sleep in his mother's arms. George carried him to the master bedroom where his siblings were already asleep in their parents' bed. George put Danny in the bed and he and Kathy sat in their chairs by the window, watching the rain and keeping an eye on the kids. The two fell asleep around dawn. Then at 630, George was awakened by rain hitting his face. He thought he was outside at first, but then realized he was in the chair sitting by the open window. Throughout the house, windows were open, panes were broken on 10 windows, locks from windows and doors were bent out of shape or twisted out of the frames, window frames were torn from their jams. He discovered that the rainwater had stained the walls, curtains, furniture, and rugs. There was almost an inch of muddy water accumulated on the kitchen tile. Okay. As the family worked to set things back to rights, George noticed that while trees and bushes had been damaged along the street, 112 Ocean Avenue was the only house with broken windows or any other exterior damage. Huh. Now, I remember seeing something, and I apparently didn't list it here. I guess I must have forgotten or read it before I got to this part. But um, I did see something someplace that said that the windows hadn't been replaced, but I don't know what the proof was, but it was out there somewhere. Okay. So I don't think I noted it here because it's not written right here. As the family worked to set things back to rights, oh, I already said that, George Kokoris finally called that day and said he would like to come out and spend the night in the Lutz home. This is the guy from the Research Institute. He didn't have equipment with him, though, so this would really be just an informal visit. George said that's fine. He just wanted confirmation. <laughs> Hurry up! That they, weren't, right, <laughs> Jesus! that they weren't imagining all of this craziness. During the conver- conversation, Kokoris asked if the Lutzes had a dog and mentioned that dogs were attuned to psychic phenomena. Hmm. That night, George, this is so dumb, he decided to take a Harry around the house to see if he could sense anything. Because, you know, psychic phenomena. Naturally, they went to the basement, where Harry sniffed around till he got to the red room. He sniffed at the base of the panel, started to whimper, and his tail went between his legs. After whimpering for a bit, Harry barked at George and ran up the cellar steps where he waited for George to open the basement door. George did, and the two made their way through the first floor. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Harry was okay until George tried to take him upstairs. The dog hesitated on the first step. When he wouldn't go further, George pulled his collar, and Harry reluctantly followed. <sighs> He did fine on the first floor until it came to Missy's room and the sewing room. These rooms he refused to enter, whimpering and whining as he tried to hide behind George. Now George got frustrated with the dog, saying, God damn it, Harry, there isn't anyone in there. What's bugging you? (laughs) Which is ridiculous, considering that he's taking the dog through the house to see if he can sense it. Right. Hello. That's exactly what you wanted to do. Genius. Um... That night, the family again all slept in the master bedroom with the three children in the bed and George and Kathy in the chairs by the window. The family was asleep within 10 minutes, likely exhausted from the work of cleaning up after the storm, not to mention the drain of what was happening in the home. At some point, George was awakened by Kathy shoving him. She and the children stood before him, all with tears in their eyes. George had been shouting in his sleep and they had been unable to wake him. He had been yelling, I'm coming apart. As he woke more, he remembered that he had been sitting in the chair when he felt a powerful force lift and turn the chair. George had come face to face with the figure he and Kathy had seen in the fireplace. The face had changed to its to his own, torn in two. He had yelled, I'm coming unglued. He got mad at Kathy when he realized it and argued with her, don't tell me what I said. <laughs> she placated him. Yeah, you didn't say that. You're right, babe. And then Missy told him to come to her room because Jody wanted to talk to him. <laughs> fuck no nope you go ahead and tell jody i'll be there kidding? later tell jody i'd like to meet him down the street um no thanks no 
uh, when George, uh, they went to, to Missy's room, and when George asked where Jody was, Missy told him Jody had gone outside. George was relieved until she pointed at the window and said he was there. George looked and saw two glowing red eyes in the window. Nope. Just then, Kathy ran past George, picked up one of Missy's play chairs, and swung that motherfucker right at the window. <laughs> the window <coughs> shattered. Excuse me. Nope. Oh, you good. The window shattered. The family heard an animal squeal in pain, and the eyes disappeared. No. Get out! Everybody out! <laughs> she was like, I am fucking done. This is ridiculous. The pig creature sounded as if it headed to the boathouse, and the family returned to the master bedroom, because why not? Why? Why not? Why, why not just this keep is fine. staying? We've been in here this whole time. I mean, obviously, we can handle all this stuff. Let's just stay. So the next day, George had to head to the office to deal with this IRS audit that was happening, and Kathy was the one to take George Kokoris's call. Uh, he explained he apologized for not making it to the house the day before when he was supposed to, and never fucking showed up. Uh, but he said he'd been hit with a bout of the flu and had to cancel all of his appointments for the research institute. Uh, while he talked, Kathy stopped listening and watched Missy have a conversation with Jody at the table. Oh no, nope. After she ended the call, Kathy asked Missy about Jody, and in the course of their talk, Missy said that Jody had told her a little boy lived in her room and got sick and died. He had also told her that she would live in the house forever so she could play with the little boy. Oh my gosh. Now, as far as the DeFeo family is concerned, I obviously didn't re research all the families live in the house, but this is not actually correct as far as they're concerned if it was supposed to be them, as this was the room that Allison had died in, not the boys. And obviously, none of them got sick and died. They were murdered. On his way home from the office, George picked up the boys up from school. When they got home, Kathy and Missy had their coats on. Kathy told George the family was leaving for her mother's house right then. Mm -hmm. When George asked why, Kathy told him about her conversation with Missy. In the middle of the discussion, Harry started barking like nuts out back. The family went out to see what was wrong, and Harry was running around his enclosure, clearly in distress. George unhooked the leash from the dog's collar, and Harry lunged at the boathouse door. Oh. George tried to open the door and let the dog in, and the kids flipped out. They were worried that Harry was going to get hurt, and they begged George not to let him into the boathouse. Finally, George decided to listen to the kids, and he took the dog into the house to try to calm him down. Right then, the window repairman pulled into the driveway, and the family postponed the trip to Jones while the man worked. <laughs> because they just keep postponing this trip. We don't need you anymore, because we're fucking leaving. We're just going to stay here forever. And by the time he was finished, it was 6 o'clock. And now, they were so distracted, they were just like, ah, and they just settled back into their normal routine. Stop it. So ridiculous. No fucking way. That night, once again, the family slept in the master bedroom. At 3.15, George heard the marching band in the living room. No. And this time, he decided to stay put. He told himself, you're imagining this. There's nothing to see if, it, if you go downstairs. Right. So instead, he just sat and listened and watched his family sleep. When he dozed off in the chair, Kathy woke up to hear him screaming in two different languages she's never heard before. She woke him up and he cried out over and over, It's in Chris's room! Uh, he had seen a shadowy figure approach Chris's bed. He mm. tried to help Chris, but couldn't get up from his chair. He started yelling and felt himself being pushed. He was able to break his arms free from whatever was holding him and started swinging his arms around. Oh my God. Chris was now tangled inside the dark shape. He felt Kathy push him again. 
When he woke, she, she told him he'd been dreaming, but he swore he hadn't. Whatever the dark figure was, he'd seen it pick Chris up. She gestured to the bed and told him Chris had been there the whole time. That was when Chris spoke up. He said while they were asleep, he'd gone to use the bathroom upstairs because their bathroom was locked. What? Chris told his parents he'd gotten scared because he could see George through the floor. What? Other than Missy, the family didn't sleep for the rest of the night. <laughs> yeah. Take your kids and get them out of this fucking house. I oh my don't God. understand. And this is real. If it's just you. Like, you, like if you believe that it's real or right, whatever, right, right. because there's all different stuff, but... We're going to say, this is real. Right, like, right. those are real people. Right. We're talking about real people who moved into the Amityville house. Like, what the fuck? Right. Are you it, doing? Even if it's just you. Like, if it was just you and your husband, I could see you being dumb enough to, not you, but I mean people, being yeah. dumb enough to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to stay. We'll just stay. It's fine. We bought this house. It's fine. If I have kids, no. Fuck you. My kids are not staying in this house. You want to stay? Man, have at it, George. Have a good time. We'll see you never. I'm getting my fucking kids out of this house. I just don't understand the confusion in it. Like, you you moved into the murder house. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I bet it's just fine. It's obviously because there's a fucking murder house. None That's of what's this happening. is fine. Get this out. <sighs> so, like the house says, get out. Get out. So the next day, the boys were kept home from school so Kathy could start packing to head to her fucking mother's house finally. Yay. George wanted to call the police to keep an eye on their soon-to-be-empty house and to give them Joan's number in case of an emergency, but when he went to call, the line was dead. When he told Kathy this, she became incredibly anxious. How the fuck you could be any more anxious than you would be by that point, I don't know, but... She quickly dressed the children and took them out to the van. George got the dog and put him in the rear of the van before checking the windows and doors of the house to make sure they were locked, which who gives a fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So he climbed into the van, and it wouldn't start. Oh. He went to check under the hood, but as he opened it, the first drops of rain began to fall. Get the fuck out of here. A gust of wind blew the hood down, and a bolt of lightning struck behind the garage. Thunder clapped directly after, and the rain changed from drops to what seemed like a sheet of water. George ran to the house, unlocked it, and ushered his motherfucking family right back into that house. No! We'll walk, thanks. I'm we'll just, just sit in the van. Oh, it's a hurricane? It's fine. I'll take my fucking chances. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no. So the storm continued throughout that day, and it was, though it was only 20 degrees outside, and the electricity was out, the temperature inside the house steadily rose to over 90 degrees. Eventually, George decided he was going to go from room to room, asking God to send away whoever didn't belong in the house. Because we've already said it pisses it off, so let's just do it again, right? Yep. We're stuck here, so... As he made his way to the playroom, he saw the green slime was back, and now it was oozing out of the hole where he'd had to remove the broken lock. Oh. He opened the playroom door, expecting a room full of the ooze, but it was only coming from the hole in the door. He stuffed towels in the hole, which stopped the flow. All right. Cool. That should fix the problem. (laughs) At 8 p.m., the heat in the house overwhelmed Kathy, and she fell asleep at the kitchen table. How? I don't know, because when I'm that hot, I'm just like, nope, nope, I'm not going back outside with the hurricane. Taking all these fucking clothes off and just laying here like, and I'm not sleeping. There's no fucking way. None. Um, So then the heat became too much. Oh, so sorry. George carried her to their room. How romantic. Uh, The heat then became too much for the children, and they too were ready for bed. 
I, again, don't understand that. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) (laughs) Missy slept in the master bedroom with Kathy, and the boys slept in their own room, which was oddly cooler than the rest of the house, though it was on the third floor. George stayed in the living room with Harry, thinking about checking if he could start the van, but he was worried that he wouldn't be able to get back into the house to his family if he went outside. Okay. At least he's worried about something, I guess. At 10 p.m., the temperature started to drop in the house, and by 10.30, it was down to 60 degrees. Oh! Which is obviously something, because I've never Mm. in my fucking life had my temperature Mm. raised that high or, or, you know, drop that quick. And it was hot. He was going to start a fire, but then he heard Missy cry out. When he went to his room, she was shivering in bed because she had not been covered because of the heat in the house. And it dropped. So George covered her and Kathy with a blanket. And he went down to get Harry and brought him back to his room. (laughs) I said he tied George up. I meant he tied Harry up (laughs) before climbing into the bed with his wife and daughter. But instead of laying down, he sat up with his back against the headboard. At 1 a.m. after the storm had stopped, he was freezing cold and began to cry over his family's situation. Because it's, you know, not your fault or anything that you keep fucking staying in this goddamn house after everyone's like, you should leave the house. And you're like, Psh. no. Let me fuck a little more shit up. And sit at home cry. and fucking cry about my <laughs> life that I fucking, whatever, idiot. Anyway, it was at this point that Kathy woke up and got out of the bed. She glanced at her reflection in the mirror and George saw that her eyes were open, but he could tell she was still asleep. Kathy walked towards the bedroom door and stopped because Harry was stretched out in front of it. George grabbed Kathy and shook her to try to wake her. She didn't react, but her eyes closed, and she went limp in his arms. He got her back to the bed, then noticed Harry moving in the doorway. Harry struggled to his feet, started shaking violently, and started puking on the floor. He was gagging like there was something caught in his throat. Mm. The smell caused George to gag, too. So here we go. This is like in fucking Stand By Me, where everyone just pukes because of the puke. I love that movie. (laughs) One of my faves. So uh, he grabbed towels to mop up the floor, untied the dog, and set him free. Harry went and stretched out in the hallway. George climbed back in bed and heard scraping noises on the floor in the boys' room. Mm. As the noise got louder, George realized that the boys' beds were moving back and forth. He was able to throw off his blanket, but he didn't have the strength to get up. Next, he heard and saw the dresser drawers in his own room begin to open and close. Then came the voices, a lot of them, coming from the first floor. This was followed by the marching band starting to play, drowning out the voices. He heard them marching through the first floor, then coming up the stairs. He was fighting to get up and to scream, but he couldn't do either. Eventually, he gave up and laid there. That was when he noticed the sound of doors slamming open and shut throughout the house. What the fuck? Fuck no! So the storm started up again, and George felt something stepping on him. Oh! He closed his eyes and felt the pain from what seemed to be hooves as they stomped on him. He must have passed out from the fear because then he woke up to the boys telling him there was something in their room. He looked around and realized it was light outside and the storm was over. He asked the boys what was in their room and Danny told him it was a faceless monster. Chris said it had tried to grab them. the fuck up. But they'd run away. What? Smart little babies. George tried to get up, but he still couldn't. He heard Harry bark and glanced over to see him snarling and growling at the staircase. George fought harder and was finally able to get out of the bed. The fucking typos are just ridiculous in here. Uh, He ran to the hallway and on the top step was a gigantic figure in white. The same one they'd seen in the fireplace that night. It was pointing right at him. 
He ran back to the Oof. room and grabbed Missy. He placed the sleeping girl into Danny's arms and told the boys to take her outside. Then he lifted Kathy off the bed. He ran down the steps with Harry behind him. I, I don't know if they pushed past the white thing. I'm not quite sure what right. happened there. They didn't see. Um, excuse me, sir. I'm just going to squeeze right through this door here. Excuse me. Oh. I know that you're pointing at me, but I think you're pointing at the bedroom. I'm going to fucking go. Can you just have all that stuff that's in there? Thanks. The bed's pretty comfortable. Bye. Um, uh... The front door was wide open, hanging from its hinges again. Oh, perfect. It's open. The children were already outside. Missy was crying. George ran to the van and put Kathy in the passenger seat before helping the children in. Harry followed them in, and George closed the door and ran to the driver's side, praying the whole time. He started the car and hurriedly backed out of the driveway. As he drove away from 112 Ocean Avenue, finally, it was 7 a.m., on January 14th, 1976. Whoa! The book ends with George and Kathy falling asleep at Joan's house before awakening in the middle of the night, levitating around the room. Shut the fuck up! When both had come back down to the bed, they left the bedroom and found greenish-black slime that looked like a snake coming up the steps toward them. At Joan's? Yes. There is talk about whatever was happening in the house following them, that they had more issues. But I didn't find a lot of information about exactly what continued to happen. There were just references that okay. kept happening. So the epilogue of the book describes a meeting between George Lutz and Marvin Scott of New York's Channel 5, in which Scott asked for permission to investigate the house. The men met at a pizzeria near the house in Amityville. Lutz agreed to allow the investigation, but stated that he and his wife would not step foot in the house again, because finally he grew. Wow. Took you long enough. Jesus. Uh, he told Scott he would wait for him at the pizzeria the next day to discuss his findings. This investigation was done by George Kokoris, psychics Mary Pascarella and Mrs. Albert Riley, and a name you probably recognize, two names you probably recognize, Ed Warren, a demonologist, and his wife, the lovely Lorraine Warren. Yes! A clairvoyant, along with a group of observers, including Marvin Scott. The group held three seances starting at 10.30 p.m. on February 18, 1976. During, I guess this was the first seance, Pascarella became ill and had to leave the room. She said there was, quote, some kind of black shadow that forms a head, end quote, that was moving and made her feel threatened. Nope. Mrs. Riley was gasping and saying it was upstairs in the bedroom and that it was making her heart speed up. Ed Warren wanted to end the seance. Ooh. Kokoris also became violently ill and had to leave the room. Lorraine Warren said, quote, whatever is here is, in my estimation, most definitely of a negative nature. It has nothing to do with anyone who had once walked the earth in human form. It is right from the bowels of the earth. Oh. Mike Linder of WNEWFM said he felt a cut sudden cold sensation. Television cameraman Steve Petropoulos had heart palpitations and shortness of breath when he investigated the sewing room. When Lorraine Warren and Marvin Scott went in the room, they both came out saying they had felt a chill. Lorraine and Ed were also uncomfortable in the living room. Lorraine thought some negative forces were in statues and other objects. She also thought there was something demonic in some of the inanimate objects. She noted the fireplace and banister on the second floor without being told about the Lutz's experiences beforehand. Ugh. So we talked about the fireplace. The banister was mm -hmm. ripped off. Yep. Uh, some people slept in the second floor bedrooms while Jerry Salfin from the Research Institute walked around the house with a battery-operated lantern searching for physical evidence, and a photographer took infrared pictures hoping to catch something on camera. At 3.30 a.m., there was another seance in which no other phenomena were reported. The okay. third seance mentioned is not described in the book. Okay. I say there are three, but I only saw descriptions of two. 
Marvin Scott would later say he felt nothing in the house that night, save for a few chills. In multiple interviews, he said, quote, as I've often said when asked if I was frightened the night I stayed there, absolutely not. The two hours I spent watching the movie with a rowdy pot-smoking audience was much more of a horror than the five hours I spent in that house in Amityville. No fucking way. Then you didn't even go into that. Because you're in a fucking house where regardless of any of that happened, people were murdered. Right. A whole family just fucking offed. Right. No way are you in there not like... But, and I don't know much about Marvin Scott, but I would say this. If you're a skeptic, you're probably just going to be a skeptic. You're I know, but there's no some what. fucked up, fucked up to shit I mean, happened in there. You, you've met my brother. If I took my brother in a house like that, he would, it wouldn't matter. Literally, a ghost yeah. could come up to him and be like, get the fuck out and breathe in his face. And he'd be like, nah, that was because you ate a bagel earlier. Like, he just wouldn't even, <laughs> that was you. I smelled that onion. Like, 100%, that's my brother. A hundred percent. Some people are just skeptics. That's just it. They just do anything else. Yeah. Just like some people will just believe whatever. Yeah. You know, so I don't know Marvin Scott. He may not be a skeptic, but also if he is, he's just going to fucking not believe it no matter what anyway. Right. I'm not saying it all happened, yeah. but I'm just saying it could have. Uh, so Scott talks about the night in Miami, the horror. He's also in the documentary. And I found a spot from Pix11 on Facebook called Marvin Remembers Amityville Horror, where he also discusses that night. Okay. There is a famous picture taken the night of the seances that I meant to have pulled up, and I'm remembering right now that I meant to have it pulled up. Show it, to you. <laughs> it shows a little boy peeking out from one of the rooms. I read somewhere, and now for the life of me, cannot find the article again that someone had brought their son or stepson to the house that night. It was the explanation. Okay. Uh, it appears that, that is not the case. Laura DiDio, speaking to Marvin Scott, states in my Amityville Horror, you and I both know there were no children and there were no animals in the house that night. In searching for the article, I also found arguments that the person in the picture is actually Paul Bartz, B-A-R-T-Z, an investigator that was found in the home, that was in the home that night. The argument is that Bartz's shirt looks like the shirt on the boy, but I completely disagree. The boy's shirt is more white or light color than any other color, and Bart's shirt is more blue or dark color than any other color. All right, Christina, just show me the picture. What do you think? Ah! I don't know. I don't know what the other guy's shirt okay. looks like, so we'll need to... Okay. Paul Bart's. It looks like the boy's shirt kind of has some stripes. Yeah. So I I think that the checker... Like, they might have, both have a checker pattern, but it's a different checker pattern. Like, one's thicker and one's thinner. Oh, yeah. Definitely not that. They look different oh, yeah. colors. Yep. Um... Oh, yeah, definitely not. Plus, that's an obviously a child. Yeah. Not a fucking grown man. It's, it's a grown man. I was like, grown that doesn't even look like the same fucking person, but okay. Definitely different shirts. Ooh! Um, so they're saying there was no kid? So Laura Dio, who was there, says, you and I both know. I think she was there. Says, you and I both know there were no kids there. And she's talking to Marvin Scott. Yeah. So Marvin Scott was definitely there, if I'm wrong about Laura. Um... So at the bare minimum, the difference in the shirts is the size of the pattern, right? They're not the same size pattern. Oh, no. Or the same color. Right. Most definitely. Okay. So um, the boy's shirt has looser squares. Bart's has tighter ones. So you yes. guys can look that up. I will probably put that in our uh, Instagram. I haven't figured all that stuff out yet. I'm not that far. Uh, the two also have different hair. To me, it looks like cut style and even color. Even though one's a black and white photo, so that's harder to tell the color. It doesn't look the same. Um, it's suggested that the glowing eyes are a reflection in glasses. 
The glowing eyes on the little boy okay. in the picture. Uh, though in my unprofessional opinion, the shape of the reflection is not the shape of any fucking glasses I've ever seen. <laughs> yep. Uh, so when Scott, all this is done, Scott goes back to the pizzeria. The Lutz has never showed. What? By that March. Like, forget it. They had moved to California. Left their belongings behind. George sold his interest in the family business. They signed the house over to the bank and they washed their hands of their dream home. Whoa. Yeah, right. Uh, in my Amity of the Horror, Danny states that the Lutz has got a large advance on the book deal and went on a yearish long book tour. Danny was left at a Catholic monastery school where he says the priests beat him and performed exorcisms on him. When asked what he meant by exorcisms, Danny said performing exorcisms, like speaking in tongues, laying on hands, holy water splashing, violent fucking bodily convulsions. What? When asked why they did this to him, Danny said, quote, because I was possessed by a spirit that I could not get rid of on my own. What? End quote. He says he ran away a few times and the priests beat the shit out of him. What? So that's Danny. Part of Danny's story. Holy shit. Um, I've left out much of the story of Father Pecorero, but I'm going to summarize it for you real quick because quite frankly, most of it seems pretty unbelievable to me. I don't know that I'm buying all of this part. And obviously, I said before, there are lots of questions about him and he's, you know, it sounds like he's lying and then he's said that it was true and I don't know, who knows. Uh, so there are quite a few descriptions of events that happened to him after he left the house. Uh, they talked about while driving on the highway, a force pulled his car to the shoulder, then the hood flew open while he was driving, and finally the windshield wipers went berserk when somebody was working on the car. He had blisters open multiple times all over his hands, experienced the flu three times in three weeks, got pneumonia, got into a brief argument with another police or police priest that was a close friend. The book suggests that he was basically snippy with this priest. <laughs> I mean, literally. It's very unlike and, me. And their long friendship was like never the same, which seems oh, really odd to me. Right. It sounds like that priest was a giant a priest, baby. Right. Like, oh my gosh. But, uh, and a few other things. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, as for the Lutz children, I was unable to find any statements from Missy concerning the events at One Tale Ocean Avenue, but Christopher has done a few interviews in the last 10 years or so, and then Danny obviously was part of the My Amityville Horror documentary. Um, in an episode of Inside Edition that I assume is from 2005, that's the year that the remake of the original Amityville Horror movie was released with Ryan Reynolds, mm -hmm. uh, Christopher talked about how disgusted he was with the movies about his family's experience. He stated that there were lots of flies in the house, but not like what the movie showed. Okay. And again, remember, this is still in December, January in New York. Right. So a lot of flies seems like a strange thing. Uh, he also talks about the shadow figure he saw in the house. Then in an article from the Phoenix New Times from 2011, Christopher, who has changed his name back to Quarantino, his biological father's name, he describes the figure he saw this way. Quote, it was as large as a man... As definite as a shadow, but not against the wall. Okay. I saw no feet and it petrified me. Oh, that's the end of the quote. It moved toward his bed before disappearing, leaving behind a foul smell. The article goes on to say that Christopher didn't even read the book until 1999, over 20 years after the Lutzes fled the home. When he did, he became angry. Quote, now I'm seeing why the public perceives this as a hoax, he said. What I'm reading to me is bullshit. Oh, so he's saying some shit right. happened in that house, right. but this That's just not... makes it a mockery okay. of it. Uh, during an interview with psychologist Dr. Susan S. Bartell, shown in the documentary, Danny was clearly uncomfortable talking about his life, even the happy memories. When Dr. Bartell asked him if there was someone that he wanted to benefit from doing this, I'm unsure if she meant the therapy aspect or the documentary itself. 
I assume she was talking about the documentary, though. Uh, he says his children, who he states are 17 and 19. Dr. Bartel asks if Danny's children have talked to him at all about this, and he says they have and are concerned that he get past what happened. Joel Martin, a journalist involved in the case, asked in the documentary about rumors regarding the Lutz's finances. He says there are arguments from various sources that they had to leave the house because the business wasn't going well. George couldn't sell the house, and they let the house foreclose. I think this is a pretty interesting argument, but here's why I don't buy it. Okay. The Lutz family fled from the home after living there for 28 days. They moved in directly after closing on the house, according to the book. So that may be inaccurate, but it's what I have to go on, so that's what we're going to go on. Okay. The idea that the Lutzes had to leave because they let the house go into foreclosure is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it was 28 days. 28 days. <laughs> they weren't even in the house long enough to have a fucking payment due. Right. Much less go into foreclosure. Now, that doesn't mean it never went into foreclosure, but less than a month in, they wouldn't have needed to move because of it. Right. They also don't appear to have tried to put the house on the market before fleeing, which makes sense because who the hell moves into a new home to put it on the market less than a month later? I also saw in multiple places online that the foreclosure happened in 1977, which is a year after they left. Oh, Um, yeah. Close to a year after they left, I should say. Um, Do I have this other part? I don't know if I do or not. Uh, The house sold the Cromartie family after the Lutzes for $55,000. Based on a few different things, I read the Lutzes mortgage was $60,000 to $80,000. So the bank could potentially have gotten the ability to garnish George's checks for the difference in a foreclosure. The book states that they signed the house back over to the bank, which is not a foreclosure. Right. Uh, that's what's called a deed in lieu of foreclosure, for anyone who doesn't know. And I have actually done this before. Uh, so in a deed in lieu situation, the homeowner signs the house over to the bank and, barring special circumstances, has to claim the amount of the loan written off by the bank as income on their taxes. This may have been different in 1977, may have been different in New York, or may still be different in New York. I don't really know how all that works. But... All that makes me think that while I do believe George was trying to make money off of an exaggerated account of what happened in the house, it just doesn't make sense that they strictly fled because of finances. Right. They had had to write off that amount of money. I mean, that's like 15, well, 5000 minimum to $25,000 in income he would have had in 1977 right. that he would have had to pay income taxes on. Right. He wouldn't have made shit on a lot of money. Giving the house, selling the house or getting rid of the house. Uh, along the same line of thinking, Laura DiDio said the following in the Phoenix New Times article about Christopher. Quote, my personal opinion is that something happened to them. If their intent was to perpetrate a hoax or a fraud, they screwed up. The people who made all the money were Jay Anson, the guy who wrote the book, and MGM. Mm. End quote. The book, The Amityville Horror, has sold around 10 million copies in the 40 plus years since its release. The original movie had a budget of $4.7 million with box office numbers of $86.4 million. Oh my gosh. The remake had a budget of $19 million with box office of $108 million. The Lutzes have been quoted as saying they had no contract with Anson and made $300,000 of that money. Oh, you'd be so pissed. Which is not much, with well over $200 million in profit off of their experiences or ideas for a horror story that has really turned the, stood the test of time. The book was released 45 years ago, and the original movie was released two years later. Oh, my God. What? Oh, God, that's gross. It's been that long. Ugh. 
I mean, the remake was like 2005, so. Yeah, I'll tell you though, that fucking original, probably because we were so young when we watched it, it was so scary. Literally still haven't watched it. What? I was going to, and then I was researching this, and I started doing something else. Oh, man. It's it's different than the remake. Not not a lot, and I can't remember all of it now because I've seen the original so many times. It was like a go-to in our house. Right. And I only saw the remake a couple of times. Well, the remake has Ryan Reynolds shirtless, so I've seen it more than a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was a fantastic movie. I, I watched that six minutes. <laughs> I paused times. it and then re-round it because we were still on VCRs then. No, we weren't. We were probably on DVDs then. <laughs> still rewound it. And remember from, from the last episode, if you don't know what a VCR <laughs> is, then you should not be here. It's <laughs> your audiences only. Give the, the iPod to your mom. <laughs> Oh, fuck, they don't do iPods anymore. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Stop laughing at me and give the iPhone to your mom. Go to bed. Go to sleep. <laughs> uh, there are also suggestions that George knew more about the occult than he let on, and Danny gives credence to this. Danny discusses George having books about transcendental med- meditation, Buddhism, satanic history, hypnosis, and mind control. Oh, right. He also mentions flipping through one of the books and seeing stuff about sacrificing virgins and things like that. <sighs> he was no. nine, so... Oh, my, I mean, I oh guess he was my. nine that happened. He was a kid. <sighs> Later in the documentary, Danny states that he even saw George move objects with his mind before the family moved into the house in Amityville. Shut the fuck up. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, it is heartbreaking hearing Danny talk about what he experienced in the house and since he left the house. The trauma is visible, in my opinion, in his demeanor. And not that he needs my approval, but I absolutely believe that he and the rest of the family experienced something in that house. Uh, definitely. At the bare minimum, I believe that he believes it. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't tell you why other than my gut says he's not lying. Yeah. There was a particularly poignant conversation between Danny and Dr. Bartell that went like this. Dr. Bartell said, it's very hard to have gone through life having the vast majority of people not believe you. And Danny said, now you know why I kept my mouth shut. Oh. And Bartell said, exactly. I totally understand now why you kept your mouth shut. Danny became visibly choked up and you could hear the pain in his voice. And he said, I just wanted somebody to believe me. Dr. Bartell said, right, it must have made you feel crazy not having people believe you. And he said, yeah. Ouch. At one point, an interviewer asked Danny if he would be willing to take a lie detector test. And Danny just became irate. Uh, I think it would be easy to write this off as him being defensive because he's lying. Right. But I also get it. Having my integrity questioned really pisses me off. If someone suggested that I take a lie detector test to prove something, I think I'd be pretty upset. Add to that the knowledge of this conversation with Dr. Bartell, and it's really no wonder why he was so angry. Uh, whether or not some of the Lutz's story is true is something that can't be proven or disproven. As I said before, many will believe this story simply because they believe, and skeptics will often not believe simply because they don't. We can debunk many of the details, but there is no way to debunk the smaller, simpler events. The feeling of a hand on a shoulder, a shadow figure seen by a little boy, those type of experiences can't be proven or disproven. The only people that can know with 100% certainty are the people that experience them. If you want my opinion, which I'm guessing you're interested in since you're listening to our take on the story, I think the Lutz family had experiences in the house. I believe Danny and Christopher. Samesies. 
I believe that at the bare minimum, these two men believe they had experiences. We can talk all day about the influence of the adults in the situation, the conversations the children may have been privy to, how that, along with active imaginations, could have made even small paranormal events seem huge and scary. Uh, as a child, I experienced paranormal events in my own home. I had friends who shared these experiences with me, and I now know without, and I know without a doubt that they were real and terrifying. As an adult, I don't really think it was scary things happening. I think they were visits from probably recently past family members. But as a child, I thought my house was haunted. Maybe that makes me gullible. No. My older brothers are devout skeptics. <laughs> devout. Like, they're dicks about it. Love you guys. Uh, and would likely describe my beliefs that way. Well, say you were a skeptic and you just thought about it. Like, if you think about it, like, if there was, if there was going to be a ghost, or there was going to be a demon or some bad energy, what would have to be the breeding ground for that? Where could that happen? I think it would be a fucking murder house. <laughs> Where the Holton Fail family got fucking slaughtered. I think that would be the birthplace of hell. They're right there. 100%. So, yes. Definitely some bad juice. Some shit in that house. For sure. Uh, So, for me, it doesn't add up that George moved into the house planning to make a bunch of money in a book deal. So, I lean more toward the family was scared and fled the house. And George decided to exaggerate the story to earn money. Okay. That's that's what I think probably I can, happened. I can I can get on board with that. It's also probable that the writer exaggerated parts of the story on his own because he was writing a fucking book. That's also true. He wanted that book to sell copies. And, and we have doesn't... we have some people in the house that are stating like, okay, that part didn't happen or right. that's not real. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And including, that's I believe, possible. George and Kathy have said that some of those things didn't happen as well. I think so. I think it's entirely possible that the yeah. author was embellishing a bit, which makes sense. He's writing a fucking book. Uh, whatever happened at 112 Ocean Avenue when the Lutzes lived there did not continue after they left. Lorraine Warren believed that was because the house had been exercised. Tenants after the Lutzes seemed to believe that it was because the horror was all a hoax. The address of the house has been changed to ward off the things, the throngs of obsessed visitors. And while it's easy to find oh, really? online, I will not be sharing it. Uh, also, it goes without saying, but don't be the dick that bothers the family living there now. Don't be that guy. That's Can it. we just like stand in the street though and just like <laughs> look at it and not long. knock on the door though? And, uh, Can we do that? I mean, don't like don't go on their property. Okay, don't. They've had a lot property. of shit, so yeah. you can do uh, a drive-by. But just that's drive-by. that's where the story stands today. Yeah, what do you think? that's fucked. Why why you stay there for that long is is that's crazy. Nope, super fucking crazy. Yeah, that's pretty scary. All right. Ready to... Let's lighten it up. Let's lighten it up. Lighten it up. Spookies. Do not owe the rights to this joke. All right, you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Do you know about the Scottish lady who was murdered by her husband? I do not. Don't. Let me tell you. Her husband completely killed her. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. All right. Sweet dreams, spookies. If you want to keep up with the Mombies, check out our TikTok at Mombies Horror. Follow us on Facebook, Mombies Horror Podcast. You can view our Instagram at Mombies Horror. You can send case suggestions to Mombies Horror at gmail.com. 
You can join our Discord, Mombies Horror, where we'll have discussions, opportunities to talk to the Mombies eventually, and there's also another place for case suggestions. And you can join our Patreon, Mombies Horror, where currently the money will go towards upgrading equipment, and eventually you'll get bonuses for being in the categories like special episodes only available to patrons.